I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F-words. And uh, I'm Michael Gillum. And this is Zach Lyons. And um, we're here with you to talk football. We're going to talk restraining orders. <laughs> we're going to talk F1. And it was a damn good weekend in sports. So we got to cover that. We hope you're all doing well. Zach, are you doing well? I'm doing good. I think there's. it's going to be kind of a different. We only really have one, maybe one and a half Titan-centric topics, which maybe that makes everybody tune off. That I said that. Spoiler alert. But it's a pretty big topic, obviously, the one that we're going to talk about. And uh, we're also going to make fun of uh, a couple of groups of fans that have reared their head and need restraining orders taken out on them. And I'm, I'm sick of it. You could, I was fed up with it last week, and it got worse this week. But I'm going to turn it into a popular segment when I find the tweets. I'll share them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was a wild weekend of sports, and I loved every bit of it. Yeah, people, we, we have to document some things. Because you all are weird on Twitter. Yes. Very weird. This is coming from a guy whose entire Twitter feed is just weird, random thoughts. You all are weird. <laughs> You're well, in okay. an epic battle with Internet Explorer. And I'm losing. I'm losing badly. Someone actually put a comment on my uh, Twitter feed today about why it's probably doing it. So I'm going to look into that. But um, I'm not going to be defeated, which means I'm going to lose and give up. So... <laughs> We got to talk about some the, some Debbie Downer stuff first, of course, because um, terrible news over the weekend. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was killed in Florida, 24 years old, was apparently hit by a dump truck on the side of the road um, and was pronounced dead at the scene. So uh, terrible news because he had, you know, had he would start his career in, in Washington and then had moved on to Pittsburgh and by all intents and purposes it sounds like from every one of his teammates that like he just absolutely loved being there the guy loved playing football but he sounded like he was a damn good teammate but unfortunately what and this is happening too often with people who just want to get things out there first or they just think they've got something to get off their chest the death of a person the death of x brings out people who just can't stop and think about what they're trying to say for three seconds before they tweet before they get on the radio and we had two back-to-back instances like within a couple of hours each oh other. my gosh it was ridiculous I, I i couldn't believe it <laughs> uh first adam Schefter uh tweets out uh the following dwayne haskins a standout at ohio state before struggling to catch on with washington and pittsburgh in the nfl died this morning when he got hit by a car in south florida per his agent uh i'm I say that because why put in a, in a news release about someone's death that they were just struggling in their job. I, I and, and the reason why I'm questioning it so specifically, because if you're calling, let's just say you're having to make the unfortunate call to a friend or a relative or someone that, that someone you all know passed away. I just don't, I feel like you're going to think before you dial that phone number or send that text or however you communicate it, how do I want to say this? Because it's not a great message you're bringing. 
And I just don't understand how your brain would ever go to, you know, our mutual friend, Zach passed away. God, he was not doing great at his job right before he died. I, I just, I don't, I don't know why that comes up. Why do you feel the need, especially with someone that's got the outreach that Adam Schefter has? I mean, he could literally just tweet the word marshmallow and it would get retweeted like a hundred thousand times. I, he has a massive outreach and he, and he tweets this out. He ends up deleting it, retweeting, or, or, or I should say retyping a, a better phrase tweet that didn't include him struggling at his job but not before the internet had a field day piling on him. Uh, I just don't get it. How can you not stop and think about that for 10 seconds before you hit send? Well, I could tell you why, but first I want to get something else off my chest about this whole thing before I really dive in on the Schefter and, and, and Gil Brandt is the amount of people who have no association with Dwayne Haskins who are putting out remembering Dwayne Haskins in their, in their podcasts or on their, on their video feeds or live shows, you know, to fill airtime, you know, I, I will not an Ohio state fan. I don't know Dwayne Haskins. I'm not a Washington commanders fan and I'm not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan now. And I've never played in the NFL. So I don't know any of the, these NFL players personally, but I, I think you do a disservice to your audience if you're remembering Dwayne Haskins and you have no ties to Dwayne Haskins. That's just a little something I wanted to get off my chest. I saw it today a few times, and I'm thinking, why would I tune, tune into this show to listen to these guys talk about Dwayne Haskins when they have no ties to him? Like, yeah. if you want to talk about Dwayne Haskins, that that's fine, but I feel like they probably Googled a bunch of stuff about Dwayne Haskins before they went on. I just feel it was very disingenuous when, when stuff like that happens. And that happens not just in the football world. It happens everywhere. Michael, I have been watching Batman the Animated Series. This is quite the transition. And, I, and let me say something. First off, it's much better as an adult. And I put that out in a tweet, I believe, uh, yesterday or the day before. And... What I've noticed about Batman is that he likes to use words that describe Adam Schefter when uh, costing criminals and uh, beating them up. Sleazeball and scumbag. I cannot, I, we have been pretty big proponents of, I guess, anti-Adam Schefter for a while now. It all, it really started snowballing with his Derrick Henry reports, which were just erroneous. But this whole thing if you really dive into the background of who Adam Schefter is, he cares about one thing only, and that's Adam Schefter. And he just got this sleazeball just got paid millions of dollars by ESPN in a, in a contract and goes and says something like that. That is not million dollar worthy tweeting. I don't care. I really don't care about his apology, to be honest with you. Um, I don't accept it. Not necessarily that I have to be the one to accept it. But me personally, I'm so far out on Adam Schefter at this point in time that I hesitate to even retweet him, even if it's something important that needs to be retweeted. Because he was the first one who got the report out about this. So not only was he delivering tragic news, he was delivering tragic news tragically. It was just so bad, bad form. I I cannot believe this guy's even considered a journalist and couldn't realize that putting the world struggle uh, just in. It's an erroneous tweet. He even 
it's just it, it's an erroneous part of the tweet that doesn't even really describe anything about Dwayne Haskins. He deserves all the slack. He could take his three-minute apology and put it up with a nine-minute video about the Tennessee Titans, and you could shoot them both into the sun. Because I really don't care about his three-minute apology. I don't care about a nine-minute video about the Tennessee Titans that you're making in your car or wherever you're making it. Shoot that into the sun, too. And I'll be honest, I think players and agents or players should be contacting their agents and say, hey, if you do anything with me, with Adam Schefter feeding him any kind of information, I'll find a new agent. Feed all my information to Ian Rappaport. I wouldn't even give it to anybody at ESPN. And I like Diana Rossini, but ESPN needs to be punished in that way too because he needs the insider status taken away from him for the suite. And that may seem a little extreme. And we're supposed to, I, you, you know me, I said it's at the beginning of the podcast. You could take your banjos and your kumbaya and shove them up your ass. I don't, I, I, I applaud Emily for Emily Proud, guest on the pod, beloved guest on the pod. I applaud her for, you know, her tweet. And remember, above all things, choose to be nice. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I'm, I went on, uh, tighten up podcast last week i'm i'm not a nice person i'll be the first to admit it i think i am a nice person but i don't have to like everybody and i definitely do not like adam schefter and i don't think i think this is a guy that's gotten a bunch of second chances be be with being wrong and this is the worst case of being wrong in in, in morally wrong in my opinion and i think that he needs to be uh really punished for it and the fact that espn is still letting him roll just because it's draft time. That tells you about where they really stand. They could preach all the equality, all the Disney bullshit they, they want to spew out of their mouth. But at the end of the day, they only care about the bottom line. And that's fine. I recognize that. They're a business. They should only care about the, the bottom line. But the next time they want to go political on something, I'm, I think everybody should retweet a picture of this and say, don't care about the, you don't care about everybody. I just, I, this is what happens when you view the people you cover as a commodity and not as a human. Look, I'm guilty of this. We do it. We, we've had a good time of laughing at, you know, the misfortune of Isaiah Wilson. And I don't want to get into caveats for every single person, but my well, defense we also of that were is that at the very first, first people to come out and try to be in support of Isaiah Wilson. Yes. To be honest, too. I mean, Broadway Sports Media, James uh, Esperanza, South Texas Titan, he put out a big, long article. I talked about my depression in relation to Isaiah Wilson, my struggles with that. And I know that other people still say that he's struggling with that, but I I, I don't see a depressed individual. I see a, a, a different kind of individual, but that's beside the point. Well, and the point I want to make is that I do think that it's worth it to every single person to stop and think about the fact that whatever you're saying, tweeting, recording about it is a human being behind that. But I, I just, it really bothers me. This bothered me in particularly pretty badly because I don't understand. Again, I'll bring up the, the, the point I was making at the beginning about you're sharing with the world that a young man died suddenly and tragically and and you have a massive outreach how do you not stop look at that tweet reread it again and think to yourself i i shouldn't talk about this kid's career right now i just don't think that has any relevance in that situation you want to have some retrospective later and talk about his 
struggles, how he failed to adapt in the NFL and, and he was working hard to get there, whatever it is, do it later. Because he was I, first I, and first by a mile. Like and, it and wasn't usually when you put out a tweet and one of these guys puts out a tweet, there's about 13 other tweets that come in within like the first 30 seconds. So this is a guy that had time to reread the tweet and except for his computer brain, his heartless brain couldn't compute that what he was saying, basically framing him as he is dying. He died and it will be remembered as a failure because that's how Schefter remembers him. No matter what apology he's going to put out or he has put out now and whatever he says to go forth, you should remember that his first instincts were to make this tweet about a man being a failure. Yeah. That's what you should take away from it is that his first, that was his first instinct. And that normally is your truest instinct, your true no, self. And that's, that's a great point. And I, I hate to like break this down and, and try to get into the minutia of how a, a, a thought or a tweet is put together. But someone shared with him the news that this terrible car accident that was in Florida, that was actually Dwayne Haskins, right? Do you think that the person that called Adam Schefter or text him or emailed him or whatever said the words, you know, Dwayne Haskins, who has been struggling in the NFL, that's the guy who was just killed. So yeah. the point I'm making is that he added those words. Right. He took what was shared with him. He added his own spin. He had plenty of moments to stop and think, man, this is probably a shitty thing to say. And he didn't do it. And, and I just really think that comes down to And again, I'm assuming here, maybe I don't know the whole story, but I think he views players as just a commodity. And he it's absolutely just does. They're they're tradable assets. They are yeah. NFTs and bitcoins. That and if you if you if you're into that, you know, stuff that could be easily stolen. Well, and this is what I I don't like about the whole trying to be first, right? Is that when you get to a a, a level of following outreach, media outreach that Schefter has, what truly is the point in you being first over even Ian Rappaport or, and you can go down the list from there of number of followers, right? Because your sheer number of outreach just from a number standpoint means that your, your tweet is going to be shared probably above and beyond everyone else, even if you're five minutes late. So I just don't, I don't get why he felt the need to be first and get it out there. And then also in the same breath, just be like, Oh, well, he, the guy was struggling to play football. I just, I'm like you, or you talk about that, that that's just a robotic company way of looking at things. I, I feel like, again, I'm assuming, but I'm just going to say it. I think you have to be a heartless prick to just suddenly make a decision to say without even, bl you know, blinking an eye that, Oh, this kid died and he struggled at foot in, in football. I, it's just gross. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm, you know, talking myself in circles here, but it's gross. It's disgusting. And he should have stopped to think about it. Now he put out an apology um, at some point today. We're recording this on Monday. The, uh, what is this? The 11th. So, um, you know, he since came out and said, look, if I had it, if I had a chance, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have tweet that out. It's, disgusting i will say thank god he didn't at least go the route of if you were offended that's the worst apology i hate when people do that if you were offended like if you weren't offended i'm good but but anyways i, I i'm like you i don't want to accept his apology i don't think you have to but uh, the only thing i want out of this is if it made him truly stop and have some retrospective about damn 
do I just not have a fucking soul talking about this? Then great. And and I hope that's the the realization that comes out of this. But you brought up a point that I didn't even think about. And I, if I was an athlete, I'd be doing the same thing. I would, I'd mention it to my agent. Like that's, that's shitty. That's cold. We're actually people. And if you're sharing information to Adam Schefter, specifically, if I sign a new deal here soon and I see it come out of Adam Schefter's mouth, I know it came from you and dude, I'm going to be pretty damn disappointed because you make money off of me and I don't want to go into that scumbag's mouth. Well, you know, it's tough. You're in a tough situation with Adam Schefter because he has built such a platform and he is almost, I mean, let's be honest, cancel culture doesn't really exist. So unless ESPN is going to step in and do something, then what, what is, what is really going to happen to him? Because these guys aren't ever held accountable. Uh, I've gotten into this argument a few times um, about over the Derrick Henry thing, they're never held accountable. They're held accountable, I guess, by us, but what good is what good is that in the big scheme of things? I just wish that more people I, – I really think players, if by chance there is a player that listens to this podcast, contact your agent, contact everybody on your teams or team that you've ever been on, and you all should tell your agents, do not feed Adam Schechter – uh, any information, feed all of our information Ian Rappaport or somewhere of the like, because I think they should be punished. You know, it, it's, I, I just don't know about Adam Schefter other than I, I feel like anybody, I, I just feel like he's a big sleazeball. I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of things that he has done, you know, and has written and books that he's published and things that he's invested in that are tied to the NFL that he shouldn't be allowed to invest in. But all this stuff to say is that there's a, a overwhelming amounting overwhelming amount of evidence to support that he is the scummiest person on this. One of the scummiest people on this planet. And definitely, I think one of the, one of the scummier people in NFL media at this point in time, um, and I, I think it should be off the air for, uh, I think it should be suspended. I, I understand that ESPN cannot, you know, fire him, even though that wish they would, but I think he should at least be suspended all the way through the draft, but they won't, they won't do that. Talking about a guy who should not be on the radio anymore. And that's Gil Brandt. Holy crap. We'd spent all that time on Adam Schefter. We haven't even got to Gil Brandt yet. Oh, I know. And Gil deservedly, deservedly deserves the worst of this because yes. Because his comments were much worse. Do you have audio of that? I do. I will play the audio right now. Well, you know, Dan, uh, I hate any time anybody is killed or anybody dies. Uh, but he was a guy that was living to be dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, they told him, don't under any circumstances leave school early. You just, You just don't have the work habits. You don't have this. You don't have that. What did he do? Left school early. Uh, I always can remember this. Uh, we invited players to the draft. And he was one of the players we invited to the draft. And uh, he, we were told, no, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have our own party. His own party was uh, a party at the bowling alley, charged him 50 bucks to get into the bowling alley for his party. Uh, it was always something, you know. It, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm never offside, but they keep calling me for offside. 
is what it is. So, you know, it, it's a tragic thing. Anytime anybody dies, it's tragic. And especially when you're 24 years old and you got to hold your whole life ahead of you. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe if he'd have stayed in school a year, uh, he wouldn't do silly things. I mean, I don't, when you're jogging on a highway, uh, you know, on a road like that, that leaves it open because I tell you, it's so, uh, guy has two drinks and he's just a little bit to, to the right side of the road and, and gets hit and killed. It's easy to happen. Well, uh, let me tell you the first thing that comes to mind with me with that comment, the biggest problem I have with it is that they rolled right out of that comment, whoever the host was, and just kept moving. Right. I, I, oh, that's in my you, notes. How could they not talk about that? How do you not stop and look at this man or digitally or if he's sitting next to you or whatever and say, uh, did you really just equate this kid getting killed because he decided to leave school early? And then you went into a rambling shithole tale about his draft party and him charging to get into it. And he claims he's offside. I mean, where the fuck was that going? And why in the world would you say any of that? I just, it just felt like that he had this, Gil just had this story in his mind, this tale that he had formed around Dwayne Haskins and his opinion of him. And it basically just br his brain went into someone just asked you about Dwayne Haskins. So I'm just going to spit out all the things I didn't like about him. I, I, I just, okay. Adam Shafter deserves whatever's coming to him. Does he deserve to lose his job? I don't know that it'd go that far, but Gil Brandt, should never be in front of a microphone, an article. I don't give a shit ever again. I, the guy's 90. No one needs to hear from him anymore. This needs to be the end of the road of ever hearing from this man again. That is about the most disgusting thing I've ever heard someone say about the death of someone. I, I would say that about six years ago, Gil Brandt should have been off the air. And this, this is a guy that should never be back on the radio. And I don't know if he's been back on the radio since, but... He definitely shouldn't be on the radio at any point any anymore because he is just a rambler anyway. But the producer of this show, after Gil Brandt said the words, living to be dead, should have fucking dropped his mic, mute his mic, and told the other guy, you're just going to have to, you know, do this for now because this, yeah. he's, he's obviously lost it. Don't even tell Gil that we've muted him, even if it's virtual or in person, just fucking let him go. Because that's that was poor producership, unless unless maybe he just really hates Gil Brandt, and that that could be the hidden story behind all this is that not only does the radio producer hate Gil Brandt, but also the co-host because the co-host just let him ramble on too about a whatever the kids these players want to do for their rookie draft party should they should be allowed to do. Who gives a shit if they come and wear a suit and put on a hat right. and put on a fucking hold up a fucking jersey? None of that shit fucking matters anymore. This pomp and circumstance of these old heads where that's why I think he brought that up and that sticks in his mind as a big memory of Dwayne Haskins is because he, Gil Brandt's a big part of putting together the draft. He's a big draft guy. He works for NFL Network, all this stuff. And he felt slight, slighted by Dwayne Haskins. 
but this is just a rant of disgusting, just a disgusting thoughts. And I just, I think it's ridiculous considering you can ask Gil Brandt about almost any guy that has came through the NFL for the last 40 years. And he could tell you probably a story. It's almost like those people that call into the McLean show or John McLean and say, do you remember that time I was in the bathroom? Like, you know, he can do that. He is the guy calling in because he could do that about any, any prospect. So these are the memories that he, much like Schefter's first instincts were to say what he said, Gil's first instincts were, I hate Dwayne Haskins. So I'm going to make, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to ramble and whatever comes out, comes out. And it was just word vomit, but it's just true feelings. And then he puts out a tweet apologizing. Now he put it out quicker than Schefter did. Schefter, you know, just deleted it, but he put it out. But I don't accept it either. Gil Brandt should not be on the radio and he shouldn't have anything to do with the NFL. He's got enough money at this point or he should because he's fucking 90 to, to not have to work anymore. Put him out to pasture, not kill him. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want anybody to <laughs> murder him at NFL Network. But take, put him into an old folks' home so he can watch, you know, Murder, She Wrote and watch, you know, black and white football clips that he probably has. I just, it's so gross. I don't even know where to go. I it just, the, not that it makes it any better if it happened a minute into it or a second into it, but he wasted no time saying the word Dwayne Haskins and then launching right into, I mean, a bunch of people told him not to leave school early and it's kind of his fault. And, and, and it just wraps the whole thing up what a, with what a wild connection because then, you know what he was doing down there, which I don't even think we really discussed is that he was training with Mitch Trubisky and a bunch of the other Steelers players. So he was putting in work. He was working something that, right. that Gil Brandt said that he doesn't do because he's immature. He has maturity issues. He was doing. Right. And, and, and to make the, this is what bugs me. If I'm going to tear apart the thoughts of Adam Schefter and how he put a tweet out, I'm going to do it with Gil Brandt. Maybe it's unfair, but I don't give a shit at this point because the man doesn't deserve otherwise. But he makes the assumption at the end of, well, he was jogging along the side of an interstate. And I mean, you know, you all to know that all it takes a guy with a couple of drinks in him and he can swerve and hit you. First off, we don't know why he was on the side of the highway. There's been a couple of things that have come out that possibly he ran out of fuel or had some sort of car problem and was trying to get down the side of the road to get, you know, to get somewhere to try to help whatever, you know, transportation he was in. But you just made this wild assumption that the kid was out jogging like he was trying to get in cardio on the side of the interstate and used to try to bolster your argument of the kid is not very bright. I mean, that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say he's not very bright. He left school too early through a dumbass draft party and he ended up getting himself killed because he's just not very bright. I mean, listen, man, I don't know what else to say other than just to tell you to go fuck yourself. That's awful. How can I believe anything else you said before that, that precursor of shit you spewed out of your face how can I believe any of that you said if you're going to just tack on this assumed, which, is, which very well could be a lie at the very end of he's just jogging along the side of the interstate. Just take that whole comment, your entire career and body of work, and just fuck off. I, people, we don't need people like you in, in the hemisphere, in the media hemisphere of just speaking anymore. We don't need to hear your opinion. That two-minute diatribe or whatever it was that you went on tells me everything I need to know about you. Fair or unfair? Get the hell out of here. 
a minute and 35 seconds this motherfucker ranted about shit that does not matter and does not tell the whole story of who Dwayne Haskins is. It just slanders the man and it's utterly ridiculous. It's disgusting. And it, it really, I'm sorry. It leans credence to me about when players harp about. No players do not like any of these two guys right now. And that's what I mean. It's like that there, there's a large contingent of players that are constantly out there saying that media types view us as a commodity they look at us as just a slave to the system that we're there to produce and that's it. And it's soulless. And you, you got to actually learn how to speak about us. We are people and the shit you say is hurtful. This just, this puts all the credence into it, that there is a large segment of the media that just look at the sport they cover and the people in it as just a giant commodity. And that there's not actually souls behind the eyeballs and the mouths of these players when they want to speak after, I, I just I don't know how to use for this man. I don't care if I ever hear from him again. I've discovered I was following him on Twitter. That's gone. Dude's blocked. I don't want to hear from him anymore. Bye. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, oh God. And, and there's no, there's no good way out of transitioning out of that, but I'm going to try to do it. Um, the Tennessee Titans. Okay. So should we, should we go this, a little bit lighter since we went a little heavy? Should I do, should we do the tweet? Yeah, let's do the trade. Okay, let's, let's, let's do the, the We're gonna, separate the, the ugliness. For let's a separate it. We got. I got to bring it up a little bit because yeah. I was getting my blood boiling a little bit about about Gil. Um, I, I, <laughs> here, I'll, I'll set you up. I'll do. I'll do. It. <laughs> this tweet I found this morning is one of the most ridiculous tweets, and this goes back to what we talked about last week. Is that I'm telling you guys right now, Mason Kinsey needs a restraining order out in this fan base. And there's one guy in particular now for, for the sake of protecting this guy's identity and his mentions. I'm not going to mention his name. He's not a well-known Twitter guy. Okay. So you, nobody knows him or anything, but if you are a, if you're good at using Twitter search, you can probably find it using the words I'm about to tell you. Let, this is what the let, guy let said. Me, let me ask for you to do that. Should yeah. you paraphrase? Because I had multiple people who did come at me and say, you didn't name the guy, but you literally read the tweet verbatim, which made it easy as hell to find. Oh, that's fine. That's all and everybody okay. else. If, if, if okay. Listen, listen, if people, <laughs> just like last week, if people are big enough losers that they're going to take time out of their, their schedule to go look for a tweet of what we've already read, yeah, that is on all them. Right. They are the losers. Fair <laughs> so so Fair quit enough. name searching stuff. Okay. When you go, and I'm reading this word, word for word, when you go in to send me a jersey, you're my favorite wide receiver. The way you work proves you could do anything, proves to me that I can do anything myself. Thanks at Mason Kinsey 87. Now, this is in reply to a tweet where Mason Kinsey is saying, just work, work, and work. Let the pieces fall where they may, control the, un- control the controllable. I'm blessed. So he's replying to tweet underneath it and then tags him again. He doubled to, he's basically double notifying the guy for whatever reason. Now this has zero likes, zero retweets. So Mace Kinsey does not give a shit about this guy wanting a Jersey. He's never going to get a Jersey. And I, I just, well, why has Mason Kinsey proved that he can do anything because he can't even make the active roster. Just throwing it out there. Golden Tate stands, Mason Kinsey fans, and Mariota stands 
have this Venn diagram that I've been thinking about putting together where they cross over into just plain dumb, delusional, and just, I, I just, there was another one. I can't remember what it was. I was, I was all about it yesterday and I've it kind of, you know, blanked on it. But there was a third adjective to describe those three groups, a subsection of Titan Twitter. And let me say this. Golden Tate fans or stands and Mason Kinsey stands, I may dislike them more than Marcus stands, than Nate stands. That's where I'm at right now is that if I have to see someone else tweet about, oh, well, we got the Titans got Mason Kinsey, why didn't they give Golden Tate a chance? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm sick of those kinds of tweets. And this kind of tweet is what we were talking about last week belongs. It's smut. That's a smut tweet. I'm I'm going to slightly disagree. Oh, okay. Here's why. Because it's just this just came to me. Now, what was the tweet last week we were going off about? He was calling dude a warrior, and it yeah, was really yeah. weird. I mean, he was getting like real personal and adding a bunch of adjectives to this man that were really over the top. So I, that's why I had a problem with that. But if you take this tweet right here, I'm going to get into why I don't like it, okay? If you take this tweet right here and you delete the entire first line and it just says, you're my favorite wide receiver, the way you work proves that you can do anything, proves to me that I can do anything myself, thanks. Do you have a problem with that tweet? Yes, I do. Because there's no way that Mason Kinsey is this guy's favorite wide receiver. He's just, he uh, because he's on a team with A.J. Brown. Okay, so, okay, so you're so like So like, this is a fucking lie. This guy is lying to himself lying to mason kinsey and lying to the twitter world you're telling me that you like mason kinsey as your favorite wide receiver on a team with aj brown okay I, i'm not i'm not trying to defend that piece i guess what i'm saying is you make a good point because you you made an argument for me he's telling a lie at the end of the tweet so that he can get some free fucking gear right right i mean that, you, that's what this whole thing is about that's what i'm saying if you took out that first sentence I'd actually kind of be okay with it if he, if he really meant that because he's just he's just being nice. He's just saying, you're working your ass off. Makes me want to work my ass off. I appreciate it. But he had to get in that first sentence about, what's up, baby? I need some free shit. By the way, I really like you. I just, dude, stop asking players for stuff. Stop asking players for tickets. Stop asking them for gear. Stop asking them for autographs. It really drives me nuts when I see people that post, look, I'm probably going to alienate some people when I say this, but my child just got a jersey from us. Will you sign it? And you're basically just shaming this athlete into acknowledge my child, acknowledge the fact that they had no control of the situation. I want your intention. I want you to sign this thing because now you got to ship it. They got to sign it. They got to ship it back to you. If it doesn't get back to you, people are going to be calling neurosurgeons in Boston. Never mind. Um, but <laughs> I, I just want to say that. I it, wish I wish an athlete would just say, no, fuck your kids. Just, just say it. <laughs> fuck your child. I don't give a shit about young fans. That's why I wish asking athletes for shit. Yeah. Stop, stop asking. This is weird. This is this qualifies as stalker. The only reason why I disagree at the beginning is because I think if you took that first sentence out and it's just a nice tweet, I would have been okay with that. But this tweet never gets worded that way. You know why? Because he wanted something for you at the beginning. Yeah. And the rest of that spilled out of his mouth after. It's take, like when you're trying a to get restraining back- order out on this guy, Mason Kinsey, and about like 10 other white dudes on Twitter. My God. It's like, 
it's like if you're trying to get back together with an ex, right? Yeah. Usually you can't control yourself. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, hey, you want to hang out? Oh, my God, you look good. I, I hope you're doing well. It looks like you're doing well at your job. You just you're throwing out a bunch of shit at the end because you realize what you're asking is awful. OK, stop asking people for stuff. Stop asking athletes for stuff. Just move on with your life. I like that Zach turned this into a whole thing where you just shit all over Mason Kinsey, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Mason Kinsey, Golden Tate, you know, Racy McMath, Marcus, you know, what do they all have in common? They all suck at their job. So I'm, I'm fucking sick of these. I'm, I'm just sick of the Titans fans wanting and pining for wide receivers. It's a larger epidemic because uh, a guy that listens to the show, and I'll name his name because I know he could take it. And, you know, we, we went back and forth on Twitter today. So anybody would have saw it if they follow me. And his name's Sam Park on Twitter. He wanted to trade a fourth-round pick, or he was proposing the idea, what if we traded a fourth-round pick for Jalen Rager? A guy who has not been good when given the opportunities in the Eagles, and he wants to trade away a fourth-round pick. I responded with, if you want a shitty-ass wide receiver who's a fucking loser, just sign Cam Batson for a million dollars and call it a day. Because at this point... There is no real difference between Jalen Rager and Cam Batson. I am sick of fucking losers. I don't want Cam Batson on this team. I want Mason Kinsey. I don't know if you could trade practice squad players, but fucking trade him somewhere. I wish he could pick up by USFL or something. I am so sick of these subpar, below average players getting all this unnecessary love from this fan base. They don't deserve your love because they haven't done anything. Like, what has mason kinsey done other than man he's a he's a scrappy white guy i mean that's really what it boils down to he's a he's a scrappy white guy what a story he's like rudy out there catching fucking passes from logan woodside and he's down there with ryan Tannehill, which is a whole nother story that ryan Tannehill's down in florida passing with the wide receivers after everybody knocked his leadership even though he does this all the time so i'm I just you know that's a whole nother side story to the ryan Tannehill thing where people are saying that right when at the end of the season, oh, well, he never does stuff with our wide receivers. Bitch, he had Johnny Smith living with him in, in from in during COVID in lockdown, and they were practicing every day. And then he did it last year. Uh, he said he was going to do it last year in a press conference. He says that that's what he's going to get everybody together. And then he there's now videos of him doing it this year. He does it. He did it down in Miami. I don't know where this idea that he suddenly just quit doing it because he moved up to Nashville. And great for Mason Kinsey's days down there. They're going to look, their timing is going to be off the charts in preseason game ones and one and two before Mason Kinsey's relegated back to the practice squad because he fucking sucks. You're also kind of an <laughs> asshole for asking for a Mason Kinsey jersey because the He's guy have doesn't have to like, made. He doesn't have like a huge contract. This guy needs to make the two mil or whatever he's going to get for two well, years. They and don't make them. He would have to go to NFL fanatics. He'd have to go to fanatics.com and make a custom Mason Kinsey Jersey to send to this guy, unless he's going to send him a game Jersey and it's going to be pristine condition. Cause it's never been worn in a game. Man, it's on a fixed <laughs> income and you're asking him for free shit. <laughs> I mean, just God, uh, if listen, if you need to reevaluate, your life, if Mason Kinsey's truly your favorite wide receiver, on a team with AJ Brown. I was also going to make a name, but his Twitter name, but then that means I was going to name the Twitter person. <laughs> so can't do that. But 
Okay. He could be a robot because he's one of those people that has like a yeah. myriad of numbers, that, uh, uh, you know, after his name, which let me say something. Your first name is not that important that everybody needs to know it if you have to put in about six or seven numbers after it. Nobody gives a shit about your first name on Twitter. Looks like this man's rounding six digits to pie. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about the Titans and getting themselves into a lawsuit. Part of this is kind of a heavy conversation, and I apologize up front, but we'll try to insert some humor into it if we can at all. But first off, it says that the Titans were named in a lawsuit, but they actually named in a lawsuit. They were mentioned in a lawsuit, but when I hear the word named, I mean, they're being they're plaintiffs sued. or something. I, I worded yeah. that poorly. Well, I mean, you're not the only one. There's multiple media outlets that have been Titans are named and whatever. I'm getting off of the semantics, but that kind of bugged me because I'm like, I don't think they're being sued. They had their name mentioned for potentially shitty, uh, you know, doing shitty things. But Ray Horton um, has filed a lawsuit or he's joining um, Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes um, in a lawsuit against the NFL, basically saying that teams are not abiding by the uh, or they are abiding by the Rooney rule, but they're just, they're giving out fake interviews and that the process is inherently racist. It's, um, it's, it's turning into a greasier situation by the day. Um, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but it essentially says, Did you know, that that's been 10 weeks since he filed this lawsuit initially. That's how uh, long ago it was. Long. Yeah. I, I thought it was just like a few weeks ago, but apparently it was 10 weeks ago. So, I mean, all of us for 10, for nine and a half weeks, there was no, discussion about it anymore it almost fell off the face of the earth and then now they come together and say this it's kind of so, weird it's just odd timing no um i, I didn't realize it had been that long yeah, i didn't realize um, it had been either so ray horton alleges that his interview in 2016 with the titans was a sham let me just kind of throw out there it more than likely was I don't know it, that it was. They, nobody hit it. That was the talk around <laughs> right. the whole thing. It was no, no shit. It was a sham. But I mean, it was also a sham for three, two other people in uh, Terrell Austin, who is also an African American head coach, and then there and um, and Doug Marone, who's just a loser. Uh, I I can't believe I can't even listen. I can't. I, I forgot all about them even interviewing Doug Marone. But the whole thing was it was a bad process from top to bottom. I just remember as Titans fans, we were furious going into it and coming out of it because we knew the result beforehand. We, we right. knew that Mike Malarkey was going to get the job and none of us were pleased with it. The worst kept secret in the NFL. Yeah, it was absolutely one of the worst kept secrets. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off topic here that the point was, is that Malarkey has made comments on a podcast where he spoke about in a, in a nutshell that he knew he had the job before they publicly listed it. Uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, he claims he had the job and was hired before they named John Robinson, the GM, John Robinson, the GM. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's something else we all knew. We all knew that the general manager, whoever they were hiring had to take yeah. John Robinson or had to take Mike Malarkey as his head coach. They did not get a say in the head coach when they took the GM job in 2016. We all knew that. Don't know how it missed everybody else in, involved in this. I don't know how it missed Ray Horton. And I don't think it did, to be honest with you. And we can get into that in just a few minutes. But that it, it interim head coaches generally 
get the job if they do a good enough job. And I think Rich Bisaccia was in a special circumstance with who is the Raiders interim head coach, who, who if Josh McDaniels probably wasn't available, he probably would have got the job because he did a yeah. tremendous job over there in, in Las Vegas. But Malarkey turned them around in 2015 and started building the offense closer to something that Marcus could run. It was no secret that they were going to keep Mike Malarkey at the close of the 2015 season heading into 2016. It was the worst kept secret in the NFL. And it, it was, it's shitty, but it also kind of worked, but it's also, they didn't even cast, they didn't even cast a net good enough to other good candidates. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's not just, that they interviewed Ray Horton and he had no chance to get in the job. They interviewed two other losers that weren't going to get the job either. And, and let's be honest, they, you, everybody had every opportunity to blow them away and nobody did. You, you can come away. Lovey Smith is one of those people that down in Houston that came in and blew them away. And they, that changed everything for the Texans. Let's start with the Mike Malarkey piece first. Pick this apart. A couple he, he's, of different just, avenues. he's burning bridges. He's, he's yes. a man on a mission. That's it's my gut feeling about that. He is clearly very angry about his time. Excuse me, a little bit indigestion there. His time with the Tennessee Titans. I mean, let, let's think about his comments. Um, I believe it was after the Kansas City playoff game that most Marietta stands love to point to about this guy want to play. Okay. By himself, he should still be here. I'm sorry. I don't want to get into sidetracked. Well, but, he had Derek Henry carry a lot of that, the load too. Yeah. No kidding. Um, and accidentally threw a touchdown to himself, but yeah. Um, oh, that was planned. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> just like it's planned for Mason Kinsey to be a wide receiver one, but right. um, I, I'm getting off topic, but Michael Arkey made comments after that game about, he basically, he didn't feel support about being retained as the head coach. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and then he was asked, you know, a few days later, uh, or a few days, I think it was a couple weeks later, season's over, you know, giving postseason comments. Um, and he said that, uh, you know, he's moving forward. They were going to the senior bowl or whatever it was. And then he was not going to fire. Um, who was it? Robisky that he refused yeah, to get Terry rid Rubisky. of. And there so, were probably a few other coaches, but it's mainly Terry Robisky. So he got axed and. I don't know that he could have done anything short of winning the Super Bowl that probably would have kept his job anyway, because as it turns out, they had their man in Malarkey or Malarkey, my God, Vrabel that they wanted to go after. Um, and that's been the correct gamble so far. I mean, you know, if you go back and want to try to undo this entire process, you got to go with Mike Vrabel again. I mean, he's, he's the one getting it done, but so I want to start with that piece before we get into the Rooney rule, because that's actually the real shitty part about that. If you're going uh, if you're basing your lawsuit, in my opinion, if you're basing your lawsuit on the comments that Malarkey said, it, it still is hearsay because it is his, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of he said, she said, and I think you got to take the fact that he's clearly pissed off and saying, am I lightly dancing around the Malarkey may have med, made this up? Yes, I am. But it also could be simply a, a, a misunderstanding, which is how the Titans tried to phrase another statement, which I'll read in a minute. But am I wrong at looking at it that way that I think you've got to view what he's saying through tinted lenses because he's clearly saying it in a position of being pissed off? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's all he, say, he said, she said kind of crap, but it's also nothing that's really hidden. His direct comments are as 
I believe Buck had a guy on the uh, radio that was a lawyer, and he yeah. actually put out a tweet, and I can't freaking find it. I meant to bookmark it. But he basically says that these are not – a podcast is not admissible in court. These comments right. are not admissible. Now, a jury or whoever has probably now heard the comments or at least read the story, so they, they know that it's there or hanging out in the wind. And they'll probably try to fight for it to be admissible. But, you know, this is a guy that's flamed everybody since leaving. And the part I had an issue with was like he was trying to alleviate his own guilt. Like he had white guilt over this whole thing. Like if you were really guilty, wouldn't you have done something back in 2016? Now it's 2020 and you're, you're not working, you don't have a job, and you're now it's... Mm-hmm. You're to a point where um, you need to be, and it's back in 2020. Like, what, what has happened in the last year and a half to two years that this has been swept under the rug? It's because anybody who heard it knows that this happens all the time. But back to malarkey, I, I think that he's flamed Marcus now. He's flamed this establishment, all to try to get back at them in some point. Now, that does not mean that what he says doesn't carry any weight or isn't true. But it is coming from a place of malice, in my opinion. And I think that when you really get down to it, if he really felt that guilty, he would have spoken up back in 2016 before he took the job and tried to do something with them. But he, everybody knew he was getting it. And the Rooney rule needs to take into account interim head coaches. or they're, they're, First off, the Rooney rules has got to be revamped entirely. Now, I don't have the solution. But interim head coaches, the, when this stuff happens, and this stuff has happened for since the Rooney Rule has been a thing, is that it is so obvious when someone brings in a, a, a minority head coach candidate and just to get by with the Rooney Rule. Now, the Titans brought in two minority head coach candidates. How serious were they? If you believe Adam, Amy Adams Strunk, they were very serious in hearing from all three candidates outside of Malarkey. Do I feel that this was coming from the Titans from a place of racism? No, no. I, I would be very surprised and shocked if it, if it was. Because you're talking about a franchise that has historically been at the forefront of giving African-American quarterbacks into prominent roles on their team. You look at Steve McNair, you uh, HBCU, um, and then Warren Moon. You look at these guys, and they they were this was back in the day. I mean, and these guys were getting you know these accolades and respect and spotlight. So I would be hard pressed to think that Amy Adams Strunk and John Robinson and Steve Underwood were coming from a place of racism. They just knew they had their guy before they even had to do interviews because they spent time around both Mike Malarkey and Ray Horton at that point. Did they have to interview Ray Horton? No. Because they had already interviewed Terrell Austin. So they even have to interview Ray Horton for the Rooney rule. So they interviewed him, given him a chance. Now, was he the underdog battling against the odds? Obviously but he didn't impress them enough to change their mind on Mike Malarkey. None of the guys did. And 
it sucks because really they should have been casting a wider net outside of what they cast. That's my complaint with the hiring process. And, and I just feel like, I feel like that people think there's a smoking gun here and from a perspective, it looks really bad, but I don't think this is anything out of the ordinary or any, and it's, uh, let me say this. It's nothing now that we haven't seen 30 other teams do. I'd probably leave the Steelers out of it, but we haven't seen 30 other teams do the same kind of bullshit in their interview and hiring process. Well, the Patriots, because Bill Belichick's been there a while. So 30, 30 other teams. We've seen it all. And it sucks because there needs to be a bigger presence with minority head coaches in the NFL. I'm sick of retread white-ass Adam Gase types that continue to get jobs that shouldn't get jobs. Joe Judge should never get a job before some other qualified coaches of the same caliber that you haven't seen yet. I'd rather see the unknown with a minority head coach and see the same fucking retread in the same style, people that don't ever fucking learn, because uh, I'll just say, white people are stubborn. We think we're the shit, and like, and like we do no wrong, and and we repeat the same mistakes over and over, and you see it all the time. Adam Gase should never have gotten two jobs. Matt Nagy should not get another head coaching job for. I think I think if you get fired, you should have to be like. Maybe they need to put a deadline. You cannot be a head coach for five years. Yeah, exactly. That's five maybe years. maybe we just stumbled into how to fix this process and eliminate some white candidates. You cannot, for a certain amount of time, you cannot interview for a head coaching job because you don't meet the minimum threshold of competency as a head coach based on <laughs> all of this fucking evidence. <laughs> I would love to have someone tied to their resume of competency. That would be great. I mean, I mean, it's just uncalled for. You know, I don't know what Eric Bieniemy does in interviews, right? You, what you hear is that he's not a good interviewer, and that that could be the case. But at some point, don't you want the offensive mind of Eric Bieniemy compared to the offensive mind of some of these other guys that get jobs? Right. And and there is no easy fix. The, you know, Bruce Arians is doing a good job of trying to you know be in front of this and promote this, but there is no fix because unfortunately this is how it is. And just in the world at large, you tend to surround yourself with people that are like you, you tend to hire people that you get along with or that, you know, or, or that you're familiar with. So that's why you get so many retreads in the NFL. It sucks. And, and I think that we may have solved it though. Five years, you can't be a head coach. That would really cut down the list. You know, before I go into the, here's my problem with the Rooney, Rooney rule piece, I, I need to acknowledge that I am a standard Caucasian male who does not understand the, the plight and the, and the difficulty in an African-American male, female, what a person of color, I should say, getting a job anywhere in the market besides the NFL, it, you know, just in general, I, I know that there are hiring difficulties out there with persons of color trying to get a job, trying to get home loans approved. Even persons of different genders, persons of different yeah. sexual orientations, all kinds of people. We Listen, I understand. We have it good. We have it pretty well. Uh, I mean, for the Caucasian men. 
And I wish that more people had it well with us, more people of color, more people of different genders and stuff like that, because I think everybody does deserve the chance to prove their worth in their specific job field, as long as they have the resume to back it up. I mean, you don't just go, you know, you don't, you don't want to go hire Heinz Ward. Like why were the Texans even interviewing Heinz Ward who has never been a head coach in the NFL? Who's never right. coached. I mean, why, why like, and that same to go with Josh McCown, the Texans. Uh, when I looked at their list, they interviewed Josh McCown and Heinz Ward. Neither of them have ever coached at the NFL level. Like, what the fuck are they even doing? Well, that's they're being the Texans, but yeah, that's true. I, I want to, I want to say this though, what bugs me about the Rooney rule is that it's flawed right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. NFL teams that, that is a, that is a very small group of people that is 32 franchises, 32 companies, however you want to phrase it, that at any given time, there's only going to be a handful of openings each and every year. This, this past season or this current season, I guess you should say with eight openings, was the largest number of head coaching openings I can remember in quite a while. It's just, it's pretty rare that 20 to 25% of the league had an opening at some point. But the point I want to make is this, is that you've set up a system. The NFL has set up a system that is flawed from the onset because most NFL teams that are looking for a coach probably have a handful of candidates in their mind of who they're going to go after. And when you take that process and say, well, I've got to amend it because I also need to interview a certain number of persons of color. You're just, you're setting up that individual to go into an interview already thinking I'm, I'm in here because they are required to check a box. And that is shitty. That, that's a, that's shitty to be the person who is being interviewed. It's shitty to put a group of people in a position to where they're doing that and have to keep a straight face in someone in front of someone. Now, again, I, I'm not trying to make excuses of, you have to keep a straight face and try to interview this candidate. I think you should give every candidate their, their due diligence. But if you've already got, say, a plan of succession set up, like the, like Tampa Bay just went through, you know, that they already had their man that they want to go to when uh, Bruce Arians decided he was going to step down. What do you do at that point? If you're an organization that you had already decided you were going to promote from within and that person you're promoting within, let, let's say that they're not a person of color. At that point, you're already setting yourself up to bring in a person of color candidate just to check a box. And that is terrible. I, I really think that the NFL should look at the front side of the development of this. A comment I made in our um Twitter feed or Twitter chat the other day was that I think the NFL should incentivize teams to be able to promote players to minimum development coaching style scenarios and make it worth their while. A, a, a scenario I threw out there was let's say that each team gets, you know, I, I don't know what the personnel limits are for NFL teams, right? But let's say that the NFL says, okay, we'll grant you the ability to have an extra person per room, you know, defense, offense, quarterback, or whatever it is, but that candidate needs to be a person of color, right? And then we'll pay their salary. The NFL says we'll pay their salary for two years or whatever it is, or, or give another bonus of your salary cap is actually going to be more because if you follow this rule, we're going to give you a cash incentive to actually do this so that you're building candidates from within and you're providing players another avenue to open it's a work stream to go into when they are done playing because let's face it 
most players are not going to have long, multi, you know, 10-year careers, right? They're going to be out of the league in three or four years, but who knows if you're sitting on the next great coaching mind who just quite didn't get it done on the field, or maybe they did get it done on the field and they need to transition into something. We hear stories all the time about athletes who struggle to find ways to fund their lifestyle you know, whether it's minimalistically or just, you know, standard, whatever it is, they run out of money. Athletes run out of money when they leave the league. This is a way for you to recycle your, your good, like candidates back into the work workforce for an NFL that is 75%, you know, person of color, African-American. And there's no excuse why you shouldn't be able to draw a ton of damn good candidates out of that. Make teams be able to build them within, give them a financial viability reason to do it so that all of a sudden here in three to five years, you've got this plethora of fantastic candidates who have built their worth. You brought someone into the quarterback room and they turned out to be a damn good quarterback coach. And now all of a sudden they're the offensive coordinator or whatever it is, you've just built the system within and you can do it to fund. Now I sit here and say all that, like I've got all the answers, right? Like it's that simple. But I just think if you think outside the box a little bit and get away from the flawed route, because the Rooney rule is straight, it's just flawed. It's not working. And it's just making teams that have good intentions look bad. And it's making the teams that have bad intentions have a damn good excuse of getting away with not hiring black people. And that's exactly what's happening. Well, that's why I don't think this is that big of a smoking gun because, and this is why you won't see any punishment from the NFL at the Tennessee Titans is because first off, first off, they followed the rule, right? They actually interviewed two. So they even have to interview Ray Horton. They interviewed two. Secondly, punishing them means that you're admitting that the Rooney rule and your hiring process in the NFL are flawed. Yeah. So you're basically that, and for the court purposes, they're basically admitting, well, these guys, yeah, obviously we have a big problem in the NFL, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the Rooney rule, I think what's lost in all this is that a bunch of old white men came up with the Rooney rule. Yeah. That's why the Rooney rule sucks. And now we're at a point where the only way to get minority GMs and minority coaching candidates noticed, first off, that are already in the NFL, not even talking about developing them, like you were talking about, which I think is a good idea, is a pipeline, is to incentivize teams to do it. You have to incentivize teams to hire a GM or hire a head coach or train up coaching staff that they have on their ranks to be good enough to make, if they get hired, then that team gets draft picks, right? Well, you're having, you're having to pay for equality. You're having to incentivize teams to give people that are qualified candidates a fair shake. And I think that's also, that's a systemic problem. And that's, that's just, it's a bad solution to a bad problem. And I get it. I understand we have, we need to try to make strides, take any chance we get to get this thing rolling in the right direction. But I'll never forget when I first got into the NFL, you know, in, in the fantasy football, in NFL fantasy football, there were like seven minority head coaches at one time. I mean, you were talking about Denny Green, Herm Edwards. Well, you know, when I'm playing fantasy football, that's what really got me into the NFL as far as knowing all these random players, knowing all these right. coaches, these GMs. But there was a lot of them at one point. And then just a slowly dwindled down to where it was like Mike Tomlin and maybe you'd get one other. And they're, and they're, you know, 
Mike McDaniel looks like me and the Miami head coach, and but he's a minority apparently, so you know he he's mixed. But that's like him, Lovey Smith, Mike Tomlin. Uh, were we to three or four, and then there's a G uh, black GM. The only way this is going to change is if you get whoever if whoever buys the Broncos were to be a minority that's a step in the right direction because now you have someone that is in the hiring in the driver's seat that is able to hire people like them because that's what it is you hire people like you and you know when Mike Tomlin retires I bet he gets an executive position somewhere because he's that great and that's how you you got to get people in positions of power to make changes. And, you know, I think that's the reason why Ray Horton didn't really come out and say anything after, after his interview, he actually came out and said that, Oh, is a, is a good interview, blah, blah, blah. And he actually went against the Prince Pollard Alliance in saying that though the interview wasn't a sham. Yeah. Because he wants to get hired somewhere else. Like I understand where right. he's coming from. You're not going to make me the martyr and put me out of a job in the NFL. That's what, that's what that says. So I don't blame him. I don't blame him for hearing what Malarkey said, stirring everything up and adding it to a lawsuit. But it took a really well-known guy to step up. And that guy is Brian Flores, a strong guy who can withstand this. And you may get other people now after Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton have joined. You may now see more and more join. And that's really, the smoking gun isn't that, the Titans thing happened. The smoking gun is that now two other named coaches have came out in the public and have joined Brian Flores. That is the smoking gun because that means it's a lot like um, all it takes is one person to stand up for uh, the uh, be the voice of the voiceless. And that is what Brian Flores has become. He's become this guy, even though he's still employed in the NFL, he's still fighting the fight. Other, you're going to get more former coaching interview candidates come out and talk about their experience. That is the smoking gun, is those two joining. And I think the NFL is hoping, because like I said, 10 weeks went by and we hardly heard any kind of developments on it. And I think that's going to be the approach again by the NFL is to try to let this die down and hope that nobody else joins the cause because it's all he said, she said. And I don't know what the end game result is going to be, but it's going to be really hard to prove what they're trying to prove without hard, concrete evidence. And what Mike Malarkey says, not hard, concrete evidence from legal standards. Because let me say something on the flip side, and it's in you're talking about needing hard evidence and needing concrete evidence, to get convictions and get guilty pleas and all that stuff. Deshaun Watson you look how much evidence was piled up against him and he couldn't get criminal charges. And, you know, the may not even get civil charges. You don't know what happens in that courtroom between lawyers. You think that there's enough evidence and um, oftentimes there's not. Yeah. Let's talk formula one and other F words. I'm going to roll in. I'm going to combine a couple of things because, um, you know, we wanted to talk about the weekend of sports, which was damn good. Great. Um, Oh, the masters was phenomenal. Masters was phenomenal. Masters is always, it's always good viewing because it's just easy viewing. It doesn't, it really doesn't take a lot to watch it. Not that it takes a lot to watch any sport, but it's pretty stress-free. 
you know, you got the soothing funeral home music playing the whole time. Jim Nance bloviating. Um, but before we go into Formula One, I got to talk about the Masters real quick because as badass as this weekend was for sports, the Masters like trophy presentation is awful. I, I just I think it's one of the worst in pro sports. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna quantify my statement by saying this: there are actually two Masters trophy presentations. There is one that is shown on TV, and there is one that apparently just as of a couple of years ago, they've only been streaming on YouTube, but it was actually never televised for that. And you would see clips of it later. And when I say this, you might think to yourself, oh, damn, I have seen clips of that before on like highlight reels. But yeah, I've never actually seen it live. They take the winner of the Masters into Butler Cabin and give this very awkward interview with no background music, very quiet they ask him a bunch of really awkward questions and then have the former champion put on the green jacket for the new champion and they clap and it's very strange. And then the broadcast cuts, it's over. What happens right after that is the, the master's champions, they all go outside to this awesome, like they, they set it up on the, on the putting green right there outside the clubhouse where they have this huge long table. They present them this big badass trophy, which is a model of the clubhouse from Augusta. They have the former champion put the green jacket back on the new champion again, <clears throat> excuse me, in front of this whole crowd that claps and, and loves it. And they take pictures and you always see that the green jacket winner holding that trophy up on the green for whatever reason, CBS doesn't televise that. And it bugs the shit out of me. And it turns what should be the best trophy presentation in pro sports into this weird, like, I, I feel like they're going to start asking them young life questions if they've taken Jesus into their heart or something. It's very weird. It drives well, me nuts every year. It was it was an awesome weekend for the Masters for what was leading up to that with Scotty Scheffler was just dominant the all weekend long. And Tiger Woods, man, it was so fun to watch Tiger, even though, yeah. you know, he didn't do a lot. but And you could tell he was hurting, but... For the comeback story, for him to make it all the way to the last day was was really great to see. And it was he had some amazing shots. But yesterday, Sunday, on the 18th hole, Rory McIlroy and Marikara had the two shots each. To end, their last <laughs> shots were from the bunker, and they both went in in different ways. Marikara went straight in like a laser beam from the sand bunker into the hole. And then uh, Rory McIlroy took the craziest loop and speed all the way around the green into the hole. Like, it was wild. But there were shots like that all weekend from uh, various other golfers. And it was one of the most fun times I've had watching golf since when we were in Vegas and we got to see Tiger win the Masters with his son there. That was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I didn't get to go to F1 after dark. I did watch the race when I woke up. I didn't even look at my phone. I woke up, went and watched the race. Um, I saw your tweets. I can only imagine when Max uh, had to retire his car. Take me well, through that moment. Who all was there? What all happened? Take me through that moment. So uh, fellowship, Formula One fellowship, which is, it is the child, the love child of V-Love, Vincent. Um, has been kind enough to set this up and has stuck with it. Nobles, the venue in East Nashville, has been kind enough to host us. Um, and I got to say, there was quite a few um, fans, uh, you know, Formula One fans in attendance. Uh, a couple of guys there wearing Ferrari gear. 
Um, I was wearing a Haas shirt. I've actually got the Haas shirt on right oh, now. Oh, look at you. Um, so th- there were, there were, you know, quite a few fans sat next to a, a lovely Australian gentleman who um, was telling us about his, uh, you know, childhood growing up at near a, a Formula One track and all that. So the scene was good. Buck showed up. Um, his producer, Lucas, showed up. Of course, like I said, V-Love was there. Um, the scene when Max Verstappen went out was pretty wild. The bar erupted in cheers. People were beating their hands on the bar. <laughs> the bartenders who are just kind of getting into F1 because these wackos are showing up and watching it, they didn't quite understand what was going on, but they were asking us questions like, why, why is that so exciting? Why are you all so happy about that? It was pretty, it was pretty awesome to see. Um, the scene was great. The race started at midnight. I think it was over right before 2 a.m. I'm not going to lie. I was tabbing out uh, with three laps left in the race because I was ready to go home. I was pretty damn tired, but we made it all the way through. It was a damn good race. Um, and Formula One just, it continues to deliver. These new cars are delivering. But I think one of my biggest surprises coming out of this is Mercedes is not going to go down without a fight. I mean, Mercedes car is having issues, but they're having issues that feels like it can be dealt with. Um, one of the commentators uh, before the start of the race was speculating that they feel like it's Mercedes uh, suspension, which is causing the problems. And they feel like they can hone that in Red Bull's the one that's actually got a lot of problems. Red Bull seems to be a complete boomer bust. Either that, that car is going to get them in first place or they're going to blow the engine 10, you know, 10 laps to go before the end. I think they got a real problem on their hands because Verstappen doesn't know how to let up. He is not going to be the guy that's going to conserve his tires. He's, you know, he's going to redline the car. And if the car is having power, power plant issues, they're going to continue to have problems. Mercedes is staying in the fight. They're staying in the fight with a car that is probably two seconds off the lead pace um, consistently, but they're staying in the fight. And that, that's kind of interesting to watch, but fucking Ferrari, man, they're not going anywhere. They got their shit together. And that is a damn good car. Okay, so let's let's talk about the story that just came up uh, oh before you got on. You may have not seen it. I probably Italy, Italy has seized properties worth 105 million euro dollars, formerly owned by Nikita Mazepin and his father, according to police sources. <laughs> you know what? It couldn't happen to a nicer group. I we have had a lot of internal jokes about Lance Stroll and. Lance Stroll's uselessness and you know, he's just dad's he's just rich dad's son and he's out there on the track because his dad owns the Aston Martin team and he's not going anywhere but all it took was a couple of episodes of the latest season of Drive to Survive for me to know that Nikita Mazepin is a spoiled ass baby that kid shouldn't be anywhere near the track I love that they got thrown out and it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. Um, so they apparently targeted a villa known as Rocky Ram. That's the name of the, the villa that the uh, they targeted. Um, I mean, it, it's just wild that, you know, the most valuable asset CISO so far is a super yacht owned by another millionaire that's worth 530 million euros. So they're not even the the most rich people being targeted by this either. You know, that's got to get to them that someone else got, someone else got seized for more money. Is he, that's got to really drive them nuts. But each week I go into this, I think that 
we're going to have an episode that's maybe only 30 or 45 minutes long. And for like the third week running, we have cracked an hour by far. We're like a hour and 15 minutes into this podcast now. So we're going to let you all go. It is football and other F words. We also have formula one and other F words now tacked onto the end. Which, which is over- getting very popular, by the way. It's getting very popular. And I've had more people tweet, make comments to us about, I'm ready to, to dive in. What do I need to know? We always point them to them. Try to survive. Just go watch Drive it. You'll survive. be caught up and you'll get into it. But um, thank you all for sticking with us. As always, um, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with people that you listen to us and uh, let them know that you like our podcast or don't like it. Just talk shit about us. I don't care. Just tell people you listen. I mean, you'll, that does the job. <laughs> get, get people to notice us. Football and other efforts. You've been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.